Welcome to this episode of My 23-Year-Old Self, True Stories from the Come Up. I'm Zena Burns, and today we're talking with Jenna Lomonaco, head of U.S. marketing for the music company One RPM. Over Jenna's career, she's helped break artists like Mumford & Sons, Phoenix, and Childish Gambino. And she's also worked with many other huge artists, from The Killers to Demi Lovato to Elton John to Shawn Mendes. In this episode, Jenna will share her creative approach for breaking into the industry and how she successfully worked her way up the ladder. She'll recount the time Mumford & Sons made her cry happy tears around the time of their first Madison Square Garden show. We'll hear about the ugly incident she encountered early on in her career while working as a studio manager and the bias she faced due to assumptions about her presence at a late night recording session. Jenna will share her tips for turning a passion into a career, and we'll hear how one of her mentors gave her the type of advice that taught her to be self-sufficient. Let's hear the story of Jenna's come up. So happy today to be speaking with you, Jenna. Now, I'd like to know, what is the age that you consider to be the age where you got the gig that started you on your path today? I would say the age would be 21 when I started my job at Girly Action. How did you get that gig at Girly Action? So I started interning and I just took the philosophy that I was going to work way harder than all the other interns. And I... <laughs> Uh, and I got promoted from intern to new media, which is what they called basically social strategy at the time. Right. Um, and I did digital PR and and I ran artists MySpace accounts. MySpace, ladies and gentlemen, throwing it back. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was, I would say, like early to mid 2000 so probably like 2005 2006 maybe back then digital wasn't hot necessarily no, no. Right? It was like people don't West understand West. that today that ooh, because because now of course you want to be in digital right but what was it like being in digital back then so it's funny because, like I said, there was digital publicists, right? So there was the cool publicists, and they were <laughs> pitching prints, and they were getting TV, and, you know, they had all the glory. And then we were, like, the less cool publicists that were just pitching blogs and websites, which is hysterical now because almost all PR is digital at this point other than TV and, like, four magazines, sadly. But, yeah, so I was, like, the lesser cool publicist at that time. <laughs> Well, I'm happy it worked out that way because look at you now, right? Now, when you got that internship, did you know that this was something you wanted to dip your waters in in terms of the digital side? Or were you just willing to work so hard on anything that when they put you there, you were like, yeah, cool? I just wanted to be a part of it. I had originally thought I wanted to do audio engineering and that didn't work out for me. And so I just was like, this seems like a really great foot in the door. And I just kind of wanted to see where it took me. And then they they promoted me into that position. And I kind of just like took it from, from there. And it kind of just all, you know, rolled from that one opportunity. But I didn't go into it thinking like, this is what I wanted to do. I just knew I needed to be involved with music. And, and you know, that was my goal. So you mentioned you thought you wanted to get into audio engineering and that it didn't work out. And I want to get into that a, a little bit later in our talk, because I think you have some fascinating insights to share there. 
Yeah. When you figured out that audio engineering wasn't for you, what was it that made you want to go after that specific internship and how did you get it? So, I mean, Girly Action had like all of the coolest artists at the time. And I mean, I still do, but just like, you know, when I was like a kid wanting to be a part of it, they had like Morningwood and Peaches. And um, I, one of the first artists I worked was They Might Be Giants. Like, love, um, love, love my brother's favorite band in high school. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> lots and lots of, lots and lots of cool artists. And you saw this, but what did you just know that you wanted to be in the music industry? I knew I wanted to work in music because I was just the kid that cried in my room alone to Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> I just felt like I needed to be a part of it. The way I got my first internship ever when I was trying to work in a studio was I sat with every CD I owned and took the booklet out and made a chart of where those albums were recorded. And I looked for internships at all of the New York studios where all my favorite albums were recorded. So like that was because, you know, when when we were kids, liner notes were everything like now. Absolutely. And like now we have social media and kids are so lucky, but like liner notes were everything to me when I was younger. So, so yeah, I just knew that I needed to be connected to music somehow. And that's really how I got started with it. I think one of the great takeaways from your genius approach to, to getting your foot in the door is that there is for every industry, there is information out there that you can use creatively Mm -hmm. to try and to try and figure out your path, right? Liner notes might not be as much of a thing, but for every industry, you can get creative about who's the hiring manager or where are things happening physically or things like that. You don't necessarily have to rely on opportunities coming to you, you know, or information oh, yeah. being handed to you on a silver platter, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're, first of all, where there's a will, there's a way. And if you really want it bad enough, you're going to figure it out, right? And even I've had people that have worked for me that have reached out to me in really creative ways, too. It's like it's the people that always want it the most that find you in a really creative way. In your time at Girly Action, doing digital PR and things and running artist MySpace accounts, <laughs> which, which, which I just really got a kick out of when we were when we were talking initially, uh, you learned a lot there. And what was your next move? So from there, I, I became the head of new media at Glass Note Records. And when I interviewed there, no one knew who Glass Note was. I was the third employee to be hired. Wow. We had a bunch of baby bands and we were a small but mighty team. And I would say for like the first year, we just like hustled and, you know, try to make a name for ourselves. And then we signed Phoenix and they released Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix. And that changed my whole life. What was it like working at a company, a lot of baby bands, employee three, you know, really the company itself being on the come up. Right. And then being part of such a huge, huge album from this band. I'll never forget. I was at the office late one day and we got a call from somebody saying that they're interested in putting the single 1901 in a Cadillac commercial. And I was like, oh, wow, this sounds really cool. And that commercial, like it just like I get chills thinking about it because it's like it just changed like 
it put Phoenix and, and us in a totally different, just like realm of reach. And that album, we worked that album for a full year before it went number one on Billboard, which is a huge deal. It, you know, reached top, you know, of alternative radio and we, we won a Grammy. And then, you know, from there, we signed Mumford and Sons and they became like the biggest bands in the whole wide world. And, you know, everybody that works at Glass, you know, we were kids. We were in our early 20s and we it was it's crazy to think back on because we work so hard, like so hard. But then we also had access to such crazy like I was going to parties with the Coppolas and like, you know, like <laughs> we we had we ran the tickets for the Madison Square Garden show. I remember sitting with our publicist Alex, who's still one of my best friends, with all of the tickets spread out on the table, figuring out how we were gonna make everybody happy at Madison Square Garden and just crying the whole time. <laughs> the most famous arena in the world and yeah. this huge band and your the one who's needing to like figure out how to accommodate all of the people that want to come to this iconic venue for this show exactly which sounds cool but again we cried through the whole thing <laughs> the whole process <laughs> so as you were part of this just tsunami of cool at a young age and you're working so hard how did you make sure that you were making the right moves to turn all that enthusiasm into forward momentum in your career i always approach things in the sense of where do I want to be when I'm 30? Where do I want to be when I'm 40? And then I'll say where I want to be when I'm 50. Like I really try to approach things in like 10 year kind of increments. And so thinking about like, I, I thought about like, what were the steps I wanted to take? How much money I wanted to make? um, And what were those things that I needed to do to get there? I was always very focused on that. I just, you know, I didn't particularly do well in school. And this was like, you know, kind of crazy that I was trying to to do this for my career. And I very much approached this. I was like, I'm going to show all you guys that I can do this. And that really carried me through my 20s. <laughs> I love that one. And speaking of someone who dropped out of college to take a job, I don't necessarily, you know, believe that a college degree is necessary for every single thing or that just because you don't do well in a classroom environment doesn't mean that you don't have an incredible career ahead yeah. of you. There's not enough attention paid to people who think creatively, right? So if you really work hard, you use the skills that you have. So I'm not particularly great at math, but I'm really good creatively. And so I really played upon the skills that I had, you know? Tell me about your experience in audio engineering, especially because that's not a field where even today you find a lot of women. And why you kind of don't count that experience as something maybe positive that set you on your path today. I started off just wanting to be a part of music and I was like, oh, engineering. I found this school. I thought I was going to be part of it. Like, I would love to say that I was a trailblazer in the field of audio engineering, but unfortunately I had, you know, an, an upsetting path into it. And, you know, that's just how... I think that's how things were still at that time. That was, you know, 18 years ago, but I want to believe it's gotten better now. But I had some really uncomfortable situations where I'll never forget, you know, because I was studio manager, I had the key to the mic room and I lived about an hour away from the studio with my parents still because I was young. And I got a call at like midnight that 
they I needed to come in and unlock the mic room. They were recording late, and so I did. And then one and of it was not uncommon, right? No, yeah, no. exactly. It's not. Yeah, like that. Like, yeah, you know, like why would why did you go there at midnight? It's kind of part of the job when you work with creatives. Oh, totally. Because artists record way into the night, and it just so happened that the that that night it was closed. So I drove there. I unlocked the mic room and then I was like, I'm here. I might as well hang out, you know, in the studio. I loved being in the studio and hearing artists create music and, you know, whatever. So the owner of the studio happened to come back because he lived in an apartment above the studio and he came home and he saw me there and he gave me a weird look. And then the next morning he called me to his desk and he said, I need to know who it is that you're sleeping with because... Oh you there's no way that you would be at the studio that late unless you were sleeping with someone and I was like mm, well I drove an hour in the middle of the night to do my job but thank you for that for just like assuming you know that that's that's why I was there because I'm a I'm a woman that's the only reason why I could be there doing my job <laughs> what would you say to young women who are determined to make it in an extremely extremely male heavy field like audio engineering and might run into some of this type of behavior, but are still determined to make it and not leave the field. I would say to girls to like speak up and be like, no, like this is, this isn't okay. And, and, and to stand up for yourself. And I hate to say that, but that's really kind of how it was better it was better to remove myself from the situation to stick up for myself and by the way sometimes it is safer to remove yourself from the situation yes but i do i i do suggest and i i i would love to believe that we're in a place now where the women couldn't feel that it's okay to say like you're not going to treat me like this well, and and two, something that strikes me is this was 18 years ago. This was a job you had prior to managing artist MySpace accounts. Mm -hmm. If we just want to think about yep. where we were in terms of social networking or the ability to find a community through through digital means. I didn't have anybody at that time. Everybody that works at the studio was a man and I really didn't have any women to look to. And so that's, I do think, a support system of other women in the music industry is so important. And for those people who don't currently have that that type of that 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 type of network, you can find those types of groups on oh, yeah. your out there on social. It might not be the social platform of your choice, and sometimes you have to sometimes you have to look hard, but they are out there. So. Jumping ahead from that less than ideal experience, I want to you talk about your experience at Island Records and you, you know, helping a, you know, small artist like Sean Mendez grow <laughs> his social following. Talk about your role there and what it was like working with artists like Sean to really maximize what they were doing digitally. That was such a cool opportunity because, you know, we had a bunch of artists that were just at the cut but it was like Tovlo was just starting to break and Nick Jonas separated, you know, what did his solo career. And then Sean Mendez was this kid that was like, you know, found him, on, they found him on Vine and he was making music in his bedroom. And it was just such a fun experience because I love being able to figure out ways for artists to engage with their fans and like how do you make kids feel like they're a part of it, right? 
What advice would you give to super fans who want to do exactly what it is that that you did, which is take the next step and try and parlay that passion into a career? Well, I think having, first of all, just having the passion, like I said, right? But then also, especially in today's world, right? Super fans of artists, they are, they're on Discord, they're reposting, they're making TikToks, they're getting their friends to post, right? All of those things are skills that you need to be able to do digital marketing, figuring out how to get other people to do that, right? Keep going with that passion. And, you know, when I worked with some of our like bigger pop artists, we did ambassador programs, which was basically we knew who the big fans were and we had them, you know, make sure you get everybody to post this, you know, make sure you post on Twitter so we can we can trend at the time like that was a big deal. And so those people are more likely to be like offered an internship, you know, and, mm-hmm. and to know people at the record labels. And, you know, I say use that as em- embrace that that power and embrace that skill set. And I think something in what you're saying that applies to to anybody is make sure that you're you are documenting what it is you do that's actually driving value, even mm-hmm. if it's something you really are passionate about and you would do without getting paid at all. Because a lot of these, a lot of these super fans, it's something that it, by and large, they're not getting paid for, right? In a lot of cases. Oh, yeah. And they're doing just because it's a way for them to express their passion. But it's valuable. It's absolutely valuable. And if you document and you keep track of these things and you eventually turn these things into resume points or items that you can pitch when you're talking to someone about wanting to get a gig, I would say just don't discount things you love doing just because you love doing them, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That That is what's going to set you apart. I want to talk about mentors. Tell me about how you found some of your key mentors and what types of things you were able to learn from them over the years. Totally. So I would say I have two people that I consider really amazing mentors, one of which is when I worked at Island, my my boss, Eric Wong. Um, Eric Wong. I was always able to go to him for advice and he wouldn't say like, this is how you fix it. He would say, well, did you try this? And did you call this person? And have you tried this angle? And like, he kind of just gave you like a a hint of how to get there yourself, which is huge because you don't learn unless you figure it out for yourself. But sometimes you need somebody to kind of point you in the right direction. Now I have over 30 people on my team. Wow. And whenever I hit a moment of like I of like a boss moment, you know what I mean? You know, <laughs> yeah. What am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? I, I always say, I think like, what would Eric do right now? <laughs> like, how would he handle this? And so, you know, I I always, you know, that's that's something I always point to. And then Heidi and Noel, who I I just thought she was like the coolest when I was an intern and she was like publicist for like all these huge artists and like good Charlotte at the time. And like, oh, my God, I thought she was the coolest. She is the coolest. And she is. (laughs) And now I work with her and she does, you know, PR for 1RPM where I work now. And I just, you know, I, I still ask for advice and look up to her. And I, you know, I consider that like a really special friends and, and relationship. 
That that's that's great. And something you said that stood out to me is, you know, when you are mentoring someone, just kind of pointing them in the right direction. Do you take that same approach when you're mentoring people? Because I know there are a number of people, especially women, that you have a mentor relationship with. I really try as a leader to to really embrace mentorship as like a big piece of my role. So 1RPM, we have a lot of female leadership at our company. And I really try to make sure that I'm working with them, but, you know, making sure that they have somebody to kind of like guide their way through the struggles that we have in this industry just by nature, right? And so making sure that they have that career path in mind of like, okay, what's your ultimate goal here? What are the skill sets you want to learn? And how do we get you there? And then I'm able to say like, all right, I'm going to give you this stuff. And like, these, this is going to be hard, but like, you have to be able to, to challenge yourself to like, take on this stuff. Because if you want to get from here to here, like these are the things that you need to do in order to get there. I think that's so incredibly important, especially the concept of having a goal, which is having a goal is nothing new, right? But really mapping out the things that need to happen to get you there. You mentioned what skill sets you need to pick up. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not just all about working hard and learning how to politic and making the right moves, but how are you going to constantly improve yourself and keep learning in order to get there. I think it's, I think that's so important that you have that as part of the mix because sometimes it gets overlooked. Something we've talked about off mic that, that you've worked with a lot of women on your teams over the years on is speaking up. Speaking up, especially if you're in a more junior position, because sometimes that can be intimidating when you're in you're in an entry level or an assistant position. You're in the room with the big boys for whatever reason, big girls. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have an idea, you have a comment and like, you know, what do you what do you do with that? You know, especially 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 if you're so much more junior than everybody else. What would you what would you say to people who find themselves in that position at any age? I always say that you're more likely to impress people when you speak up than you are if you say nothing, right? Mm-hmm. A part of working in business in in music and any field is, you know, you have to stand out from the rest. And if you're afraid to bring your ideas to the table nobody's going to know your ideas exist the only way to shine is to speak and don't be afraid to have your opinion heard because first of all your opinions are valid and we can't allow people to make us feel that you know we don't have a voice in the room and also that is you have to advocate for yourself no one's going to do that for you Mm -hmm. and sharing your ideas and sharing your your goals and sharing your successes, by the way, too. So many times, and I'm so at fault for this is, or guilty of this rather, is being like, oh, okay, I did this good thing. I'm not, I just, no one needs to know. Yeah, I don't want to brag on myself. I don't want to brag, but you know what? Sometimes you need to, because first of all, part of bragging is marketing 
you're you're marketing the success that you had, right? So right. you have to keep it going. You have to share the success. If success happens and no one knows about it, is it really success? And also feel proud of yourself. It's okay to feel like you did something awesome. You don't be a jerk about it and don't brag about it, but like, hey, I did this thing. And that's, I'm proud of it. Like, yep. I'm just in my like late 30s realizing like, I'm allowed to be proud of myself and that's okay. You know, it's not. You're allowed to be proud of yourself. There are so many ways to showcase accomplishments in ways that aren't obnoxious, right? But as I feel like as long as you kind of keep yourself in check and do things in the right way, absolutely brag on yourself. Make sure that people know what's going on with you. You know, I would I would say to the audience, if you haven't played around with your LinkedIn profile in a while, do so because they they have added features that allow you to, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of, you know, pin post to your profile and accomplishments. And it's a good way to help you let people know about what you've been doing, some accolades that you've got maybe some big Mm -hmm. projects that you've launched that you're really proud of it's a good way to show those things off in a way that LinkedIn didn't really allow you to do just structurally just a short time ago this is something that I've had to think about over the years when I've been a little bit intimidated about speaking up there is a difference between talking to hear yourself speak and speaking up when you really have something to contribute absolutely So I think it's important when you get nervous about speaking up, just giving yourself that check. Am I talking to hear myself speak to make sure people know that I'm in this meeting or do I have something valuable to add to this conversation? That is such a good point. That is a really good point and a great way to like be like, okay, I really should say this because like, you know, I'm not just trying to like show off. This is I really believe this is a good idea. I, I love that. What is it like being a being a woman in power at a company like right. that? Like, what's the culture like? The vibe at 1RPM is like, we're all a part of something really special, yeah. you know, and that makes you approach your work differently. And it makes you approach your work and like, I need to make this happen. I, I owe this to myself. I owe it to the artists. Like, so that, that is a really special part of being there. Emmanuel Zanz, who's the owner of 1RPM, I always say like, he never makes me feel like a woman in leadership. He just makes me feel like a person in leadership. That is to live by fellow executives. Well, I'm glad you're there. I'm glad you're doing big things. I'm glad you're growing the team. And I'm glad that you're devoting time in really coaching managing and helping people develop, especially on the mentor front, because it's it's easy to let those things go by the wayside when you're successful and everybody wants to get at you and you have so much to do. But I, I appreciate the fact that that you continue to make that a priority. As we as we start to close out each of these episodes, we ask to think about writing a letter to your younger self. 21 was your number. If you could go back in time when you were 21 years old, managing artist MySpace accounts <laughs> at Girly Action, and you could leave a note to your younger self on your desk with whatever you want to share about making the path ahead easier for you, what would you share? Okay. Dear Jenna, 
You will never believe the amazing experiences that are ahead of you. Although I know it's hard, believe you will get there. Have more grace with yourself. Perfection is not needed. Go with your heart and trust that that is more than enough. Believe that achievements that come are of your making and allow yourself to be proud. That's okay. Stand strong in your beliefs and never allow people to make you feel smaller. Although the journey is always long, try to enjoy the adventure along the way. That's wonderful. And you know what? I'm have more grace with yourself. I am putting that on a post-it on my computer monitor as soon as we're done. As soon as we're done. Still in learning. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. So have more grace with yourself. I mean, so much wonderful wisdom there, but that that really that really stood out to me. Have more grace with yourself. I'd love to know. Obviously, this podcast is talking about, you know, successful women in media, entertainment and technology about the stories of their come ups and what and the wisdom they have to share. I'd love to hear if there is a young woman in one of these fields also on the come up that you've run across that you think our audience should know about. Totally. So the good the good part about, like I said, working at 1RPM is we have so many girl of women on our team who are just like total superstars but there's two there's a lot of them and I can't just pick one so I am going to say Dominique Taverna who does digital marketing at Island Records she is a star a complete star she's creative she's always looking at what's new and how to you know integrate it into artist careers and it's funny because she actually messaged me on LinkedIn and said I'm a huge Demi Lovato fan I, it's my dream to work with Demi and I just please, if I could just have five minutes of her time wow. and I talked with her and she became my assistant and then she got promoted and now she's, you know, um, senior on the digital team. And I just think that she's somebody who's going to, you know, rule the world one day. I, I respect that hustle, Dominique. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> That's wow. That is that is impressive. Well, Jenna, thank you so much for your time and your generosity in in sharing your experiences. I think there's a lot here that that people can take away. All the best to you. Good luck. Continue continuing to have more grace with yourself. That's something I'm going <laughs> to work on as well. Yes. Thank yes. You. Thank you again, Jenna. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. Believe me, it really does help get the word out about the information we're trying to share. I'd love to hear from you on any thoughts, feedback, or ideas for future episodes, especially about the women who have inspired you. Hit me up on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at Zena Burns. Or email us at 23-year-old-self at gmail.com. That's, num- that's the number 23-year-old-self. This episode of my 23-year-old self was produced by myself, Zena Burns, and Cameron Blackwell, and it was edited by Cameron Blackwell. We used the podcasting platform Post by Futuri to publish today's episode. Thanks, too, to my day job family for all the support. Until next time, keep rising and remember to help others rise, too. Thanks for listening. <laughs>